If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to the New Testament book of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, so good to see so many people as we start this new year, so to speak, uh, starting their new year with the Lord here at church this morning. Uh, We're going to be focused in Philippians chapter 1, but before I get there, I want to read to you a few verses from Galatians chapter 1. And you don't have to turn there, of course you could, but I I just, I, I want you to see something in the creation account that perhaps you've never seen before. So Genesis chapter 1 is the story of how God created uh, the world, the universe, and everything we know. It begins, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now exactly how this happened and the timing of this, uh, that's something I have a lot of strong convictions about, but that's really the subject of another sermon. In the next two or three verses, he gives some details, and then we come to verse 5. That's where I want to continue. It says, God called the light day, and the darkness he called light, and there was an evening and a morning, one day, one day. Now, you skip down a few more verses. You come to verse 8. He is given us some more information about creation. And it says in that verse, 8, God called the expanse sky. Evening came and then morning the second day. And then if you skip down to verse 13, it says evening came and then morning the third day. Verse 19, same verse, the fourth day. Verse 23, same verse, the fifth day. And then verse 31, God saw that all he had made was very good. Evening came and then morning the sixth day. Now we could spend a lot of time debating whether that was six 24-hour days or whether that was uh, six epics of history or six million years. As I said, that's the subject of another sermon But what I want you to see here is that according to God's own word, creation was a process, a process. It took six days or six million years or six periods of time, but it was a process. Now that may not seem very profound to you right now, but hang on to that. I think it will in a moment. Let me point out a couple of things about the process. First of all, it was an unnecessary process, right? How long, how short, maybe is a better way to ask it, could creation have been? How quickly could God have done this? Did it take six days because that was just how long it took? Or did it take six days because God chose for it to take six days? Listen, God could have created it in six million years or six days or six seconds or the blink of an eye. God used a process and it was an unnecessary process. The second thing I point out about this process is that it was very inefficient. 
God didn't use all of his faculties. He didn't manage his time well. God could have done the work. God could have checked off the task list much more quickly than six days. It was unnecessary and inefficient. Now, why is that important for us to notice? It's important because it flies in the face of what we believe and we value today in our world, in our culture. Today, efficiency and productivity are the measuring sticks of maturity, success, and value. The more you can do, the faster you can do it. The more efficient you can be, the more productive and successful you can be, that's what makes you valuable. Here's some of the mantras that we use today. Do your best. Seize the day. 10x your life, if you've read that book. Win the day. Time is money. Nose to the grindstone. Aim for excellence. 30-day abs. <laughs> so how did God do? If we were to judge, if we were to grade his productivity, God didn't do well. Not by our standards today. God could have created the world in a split second, but God didn't maximize his time. God didn't focus on the final goal. He didn't seize the day. He didn't 10x his life, and he didn't maximize his efficiency. So why did God take six days or six something to create the world. This is very important. We value efficiency, but God values process. Now hang with me. This isn't going to be some cerebral message today. I promise you we're going to get to the rubber meets the road, but this is, this is a statement that will be important throughout the message. We value efficiency. How much can I get done and how quickly can I do it? God values the process. But if we could learn, if we could learn to embrace what God values instead of what our culture values, then I think we would gain a lot of wisdom. And we would be, listen church, encouraged in the midst of this stressful life. I think this could be life-changing for us. Now, with that in mind, I want us to focus on Philippians 1.6. That's our focus verse today. Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, let's look at that just a phrase or two at a time. He begins by saying, I am sure of this. I am certain of this. Now, why would the writer say it that way? Well, because he was communicating with people who were not sure of this. This is something they were getting wrong. This is something that they didn't understand. This is something that they were beginning to doubt. And so Paul says, the human writer here, Paul says, I am certain of this. He who started a good work. 
Who is it that started the good work in us? If the good work is the work of salvation, if the good work is the work of God forgiving us and changing us and bringing us into his eternity, if that's the good work, who started that good work? Well, it says he started it, speaking to God, about God. He says God has started this good work in you. You know, when we come together as a church, one of the things we try to always do is, is to highlight something we call the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so here it is in a nutshell, and I'll come back to this at the conclusion of the message, but the good news is that he started it. The Bible says that God loved us even before we loved him. And God showed his love to us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die to pay the penalty for our sins. You see, we're guilty of sins and separated from God. And there's nothing we can do to overcome that. If it started with us, there would be no hope. But because Jesus went first and because he died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins, he has gone first. And if we will respond to that and trust what he's done for us and surrender our lives to him, then the Bible says we become a child of God. He who started a good work in you. It says that he will carry it on to completion. Now, I think those are some of the most important words in the entire Bible for people seeking to live a Christian life. He will carry it on to completion. Now, what does this tell us? It tells us, first of all, that we're not completed, right? He wouldn't need to carry us on to completion if we were already complete. So I'm an, I am incomplete. What grade do I get for, for living a life that honors God? So far, I've got an I, an incomplete. All right? It also tells us when he says he will carry it on to completion, I'm not complete now, but one day I will be complete. Right? I will be in character like Christ. The Bible says that, that God is forming the character of Christ in me. And as frustrated as I get with me, the good news is God's working on me and one day he'll be finished. Now it also tells us that this work of completion, it, it depends upon the Lord. So we're not completed. He says he will complete us. We will be completed. He will complete us. But who is it that completes us? Primarily, it's God. That doesn't mean that you and I don't have some role in living a, a godly life and living a life that honors the Lord. We certainly have a role in this. But it's God who has the responsibility it, this, this is great news, church. Listen, it's God who has the ultimate responsibility uh, to complete me, to make me in character like Christ. I remember years ago, years and years ago, uh, my very first job, Baskin Robbins. I don't even know if there are Baskin Robbins anymore, but uh, there certainly was then. And, and so I worked at Baskin Robbins, started when I was 15 years old. And uh, it was a pretty small 
little restaurant, and it wasn't long before I really felt like I was, I was doing everything. You know, I was inventorying the ice cream, I was scooping the ice cream, I was eating the ice cream. I, um, you know, I was running the cash register, I was tallying it at the end of the day, and I, uh, I really thought I, uh, I did all the work. I am the captain of this restaurant, 15 years old. There was a little disagreement between me and the, and the owner at one point, and he explained that while I have work to do, he has the responsibility. He said, you're not thinking about whether or not we've sold enough ice cream to pay the rent. You don't understand the complexities of payroll. You don't understand what I invested in this franchise. See, you have work to do, scoop ice cream, run a cash register. He said, but ultimately, I have the responsibility. Well, when it comes to me being made in character like Christ, I have some work to do. But ultimately, the responsibility, well, that's the Lord. And I don't know about you, but it helps me to know that payroll is not my responsibility. <laughs> Paying the lease on earth is not my responsibility. So he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. So what is that? What does that mean to us? Well, it's the title of the message, chill. There's work for you to do, but God has begun a work in you if you're a child of God, and God will finish it. Now, one more thing to notice about Philippians 1.6 is just like the work of creation, God took six days to create the world. God completing us, making us without sin and in character like Christ, that is a process. God could have created the earth just like that. God could fix me just like that. But God, when he created the earth, did it over a period of time. It was a process. And what God is doing in me we see it right here in Philippians 1.6. It is a process. God loves the process. God loves the journey, not just the arrival. God loves the construction, not just the ribbon cutting. Okay? Now we see this all throughout Scripture. When Jesus describes how we live the Christian life, he says that we are the branches and he is the vine. It's a picture of, uh, of how you grow grapes. And so there are branches that bear grapes, but they bear grapes because they are connected for a long period of time in a vine. It is a process. When Jesus describes how we live out the Christian life, it's not just some instant thing. It is a process. It's interesting to me that even when we see a description of Jesus growing up, Jesus, the son of God, and he was the son of God, uh, even when he took his first breath as a little baby boy, I mean, he was the son of God in eternity past, but, but for all of his earthly life, even from the beginning, he was the son of God. Yet Luke 2.52 says, a boy Jesus, that he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. 
And so Jesus wasn't, well, Jesus grew. He grew physically. He grew mentally in wisdom. He grew in favor with God. There was a process even, even with Jesus. We have um, referred to it a few times, but when the Apostle Paul describes what was happening in the life of Christians, when he described this to the church at Galatia, he says, Galatians 4.19, My children, I am again suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. It is a process. God loves the process. God loves the slow, meandering, sometimes circuitous process. God's highest value is not to get done as much as he can in as short a time as he can. No, the Lord values seeing things take shape slowly and over time becoming perfect. Now, let me give you a little confession here. Uh, that's not how I think of things. Uh, I am way more focused on productivity, progress, and efficiency than God is. I want everything to be perfect as, as quickly as possible. As quickly as possible. Now, this may surprise you about your pastor, but I am a giant video game player. Does that surprise you? Sometimes I play video games for hours on end. Now, it's, uh, it's not the kind of video game you're thinking. I don't own a video game console or uh, you know, one of those handheld devices. I don't have video games on my computer. I do think I have some on my phone, but I haven't played them in a couple of years. And if you do, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but let me tell you the video game I play. It's called GPS. Okay, when I get in my car to go somewhere, just about anywhere, I put the destination in my GPS on my phone, and it gives me an ETA, estimated time of arrival. Game on. I know this is childish, but even if I'm just driving to the church, I'm going to beat the GPS. <laughs> if I have an all-day trip, the thing that excites me most about driving eight hours is I can beat the GPS. Bathroom stops count. If you've ever wondered, ladies, why your husband is so annoyed at the frequency and the duration of the restroom stops, now you know. Those restroom stops count against you in the GPS game. <laughs> so here's the truth of most men, ladies. This is free. Your husband or your dad would rather wet his pants than lose the GPS game. And few things in life are more satisfying to me than to get somewhere and be able to say, we make good time. <laughs> so last week we talked about the fact that often when we feel guilt, it's really the sin of pride. 
Today, what I want us to see is often what we call pressure or stress is really a failure to trust God's promises that he will finish what he has begun. Let me look at our verse one more time. Philippians 1, 6, I am sure this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until that day. So let me, since we now understand that this, uh, this drive for productivity and efficiency and beating the GPS is, uh, is, is, is something that's in us, but it's not in God. It's a sinful thing in us that's not in God. Let me give you some encouragement for the journey. First, you are God's masterpiece. God's masterpiece. Don't think you're somebody who is just deficient all the time, not good enough, not capable enough, not accomplishing enough. God's disappointed in me. God hates me. God doesn't like me. He has to love me because of what Jesus did, and he's caught in a little trap there. But if it weren't for Jesus, God doesn't, God doesn't like me at all. No, listen, that's not true. You are God's masterpiece. And when we stand in eternity and we look back on this world and we look at the new heaven and the new earth, what will be God's greatest masterpiece? Being you. Not, not the beaches, not the mountains, not the stars in space, but it's me and you. We're his masterpiece. In Psalm 139, somebody mentioned this in Sunday school this morning, and I thought, I've got to say this. In Psalm 139, the psalmist says, I know that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says that we're created in the image of God. No other part of God's creation does he say that. And then, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, when we became children of God, we were then recreated recreated. And then sanctification, glorification, those are the theological words. But as we read Galatians 4.19, the character of Christ is being formed in us. How does an artist create some great work of art? Did you know now that there are artificial intelligence engines that you can just go in and tell it what you want to see? You could say that you want to see a picture of your pastor with a chicken head, and it'll do it just like that. Please don't do that. But, okay, that's instantly generated. But nobody will ever call that great art. How does a person make great art? Well, they have to have a lot of skill and ability and talent, power, they have to have a vision, here's what I want to accomplish. But then they invest a lot of time. Uh, sculptors, sculptures, if you've ever been places where you've seen some just incredible sculptures, I had an opportunity to tour Italy several years ago, a decade ago maybe, saw all these sculptures. They're just beautiful. Now, you can, in the gift shop, buy a $3 replica of it made with a blow mold machine. 
But that's not the same, right? Because that was made in an instant. That sculpture, it took years to make that. See, when a great masterpiece is made, a part of it being a great masterpiece is that it took time. And so God could have, God could have glorified us with a blow mold machine, okay? But he said, no, over a period of time, I'm going to create a great, great masterpiece. Okay, somebody has just sent a picture of the pastor with a chicken head. <laughs> and, um, so next week we'll talk about how you lose your salvation. <laughs> so number one, encouragement for the journey, you are God's greatest masterpiece. All right, number two, encouragement, God values love over efficiency. See, the problem with being productive and being efficient is that productivity, efficiency, is the enemy of love. Uh, so many people think that the Bible says time is money. That's not from the Bible. That's Benjamin Franklin, I think. And we in America now live our lives like that. Time is money. I need to be productive. I need to be productive. Well, what is the most unproductive thing you can do? Love somebody. Go out and pitch the ball with your eight-year-old son for an hour this afternoon. That is completely unproductive. Your son's not going to be any better at throwing the ball. And even if he is, it's not going to make any kind of big impact on his life. And, and you could be doing something. Dad, you could be fixing something. You could be, you could be accomplishing something. You could get ahead on next week's work. No, to go and spend time pitching the ball with your son, that's unproductive. Uh, my wife and I went out on a date last night. It was about the most unproductive thing I did all week. But it was an expression of love. Do you see? These are different things. Productivity, efficiency, love, love. Listen, let this be an encouragement to you. God values love more than he values efficiency. When the disciples asked Jesus what is the greatest uh, commandment, what did he say? Love God. And then he said in the second one, just in case you're wondering, love people. He didn't say love success, love productivity, love efficiency, love the task list, 10x your life. No, he said, love God. It's no, that's not very efficient, right? Loving God. Get up in the morning, spend some time worshiping the Lord, coming to church. What a waste this is. I mean, we've got hundreds and hundreds of people here for a long time, and we're going to accomplish nothing. We're turning on lights, and we're spending money, and we're paying insurance companies, and a bunch of salaries, and, 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 and all of this. It, it cost us $50,000 to have church today, not to mention all the man hours we've wasted with you sitting here. That's pretty inefficient. Uh, I read that in a church growth book, by the way. No. Uh, 
But see, if we will measure everything in life by efficiency and productivity, we will, we will destroy our relationships. Go home early from work and just love on your family. Don't clean the house. Just spend time with your kids. Let's love first. Prioritize your love for God. Prioritize your love for others. Let me give you the third thing to encourage us on this journey. It is a journey. It's a process. He who began a good work in us will complete it. We're on a journey. The third encouraging thing, God honors those who persevere. You know what the most often mentioned indicator in all the New Testament that your faith is genuine, that your relationship with God is authentic? You know what it is? That you persevere. How do, how do, how do we say it here? Faith that fizzles before the finish was faulty from the first. If your faith is real, it will last. Bible must say that a hundred times, a hundred times. Think about Hebrews 3.14, for if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to him. What does God want us to focus on in this journey? He just wants us to focus on persevering. I got a call last night from a, from a young lady and I I'm, I'm not violating some confidence, and I, I won't give details, but she's very, very upset. Very, she's crying on the phone. Uh, my wife, uh, I had her own speakerphone uh, with, with her permission, but uh, my wife was uh, listening with me. And she, uh, she had made a mistake. She had done something, and, and it was a mistake. She got something mixed up. It's her fault, uh, uh, but she was just crushed. And uh, so she was embarrassed. We talked about that for a little bit. And then she made a statement, and I think it was uh, the most unhealthy thing she said, and I told her that. Uh, she said, I will be perfect at this from here on out. Well, a couple of problems with that. First of all, she won't be. But secondly, God has not that's not the expectation of the Lord. That God doesn't want us to sin. We're going to talk about that briefly in just a moment. But what do you... She was putting pressure on her that, first of all, she will never be able to, to, to honor. But that was, that was just ripping her heart into what should she have said. I will not quit. I messed up. I'm probably going to mess up again. But the one thing I won't do is quit. See, he who began a good work in you, it's his responsibility. He, the book stops with him. He who began a good work in you, he is going to finish it. You just got to stay in the game. You're going to mess up and fall down. Yeah, that's why it's a process. God could have avoided this, by the way. He could have made it instant. He didn't. So your sin is not his fault, but there are things he could have done to keep you from sinning, right? Okay. It's a process. God created it 
as a process. Don't say you'll never sin again. Say you won't give up pursuing the Lord. So altogether, chill. I'm not suggesting that we don't play some role in our sanctification, that's the theological word, and in our becoming more like Christ. We do play a role. I'm not saying we're not responsible for our sin. We are, and sin is sin. And sin should be avoided at all costs. And, and, and we should work hard. We should confess sin. We should hate sin. But what I'm saying is that the ultimate responsibility for your sanctification is the Lord. Let's cooperate with that, but let's chill. Let me show you one more. I know we're over time. Uh, but let me show you one more thing that connects with this uh, that I think will encourage you in this. Uh, Hebrews 12.2, and I thought of this just a little while ago, so it's not on the screen, but it'll be a familiar verse. I'll read it to you. It says, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Does this sound familiar? Who for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we look at uh, creation, it was not very efficient. God could have done it faster. He could have met his goal. He could have beat expectation. (laughs) Creation was not efficient. God chose process over efficiency. But you know something else that wasn't very efficient? Jesus dying on the cross. It says here, he endured the cross while despising the shame. You know how long he was on the cross? Six hours. Six hours. Have you ever wondered? That's not... um, If you had to choose how you were going to be executed... Six hours on a cross or a bullet to the head? You know, I, I, uh, six hours. Why? Was there not a faster way something like this could have happened and accomplished the same thing? Perhaps I'm reading too much into scripture here, and forgive me if I am, but I think there's a reason for everything. I told you last week, I think there's a reason why human babies are born so dumb that They can't walk, they can't feed themselves. Compared to a horse who walks in an hour uh, after birth, kids are dumb. I think there's a purpose in that. I think God's teaching us what it means to depend upon God because we start out depending on our parents for years. Uh, I got kids in their 20s still depending on their parents. I don't know if this ever ends. Uh, I think there's a lesson in God taking six days to create the world. I think there's a lesson in God allowing Jesus to hang on the cross for six hours. There's value in the process. So let's chill. Let's do our part. Let's hate sin. Let's confess sin. Let's push, push to mature in our faith. But he who began a good work in us will finish it in his time. Let's trust him. Just with your head bowed, eyes closed in both services, I want to pray. Father in heaven, 
For those here today who've never put their faith and trust in you, I I pray today will be the first day of their eternal life, that they will trust you, that they will uh, confess their sins, they'll surrender to you. Father, I pray you help our church help them. Uh, Even if they come and respond today and talk to somebody uh, during the service or following the service, help us to do that. But Father, so many of us, we're just filled with such stress and anxiety and just, we're just so frustrated with things. Uh, we're, we're making efficiency and productivity the most important thing. It's, it's killing our relationships and it's, Father, help us to just trust you. He who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. Thank you for that assurance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In both services, let's stand together.